Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Let's have the kids be dismissed to their time of worship upstairs. That is uh, up through the fifth grade. And so parents, you can walk them out there or if you've signed them in already, they can um, just meet their teachers out in the lobby and pick them up um, upstairs at the end of the service. And as they're making their way out, I'm going to um, queue up a video, um, a video update for you guys, and then we'll come back and share a little bit more detail about it. Better Man uh, has been extremely influential in my life, uh, just as a young dad and as a new husband. There were so many questions that I had, so many things I didn't know. Better Man helped me find a community that could help me answer a lot of those different questions. Having guys that were in the same life stage as me was extremely helpful just to know that I wasn't alone. Having some guys that were farther ahead of me that were able to give me so much wisdom, give me so much perspective, it just helped me out so much. Over these last two years, I've grown so close to every single one of them to where they are like brothers to me and uh, we just encourage one another and push each other towards Christ. Better man isn't gonna make you better. Every man a warrior isn't gonna make you better. It's us all pointing each other to Jesus during this process and the material helps us to do so and to grow. I would just strongly encourage you, if you are wanting to grow, if you're in a new life stage, please come and do this. It's gonna help you in every aspect of your life as we let Jesus in and we allow him to transform us, to make us a better husband and help us to be a better father um, for our children and to just prepare this next generation behind us. We would love to have you and just pray that you will consider it and, and just step up and make this commitment um, to just growing closer to Jesus this fall. Me and Matt Dromick are gonna be doing a group on Wednesday mornings uh, from six to 7.30. And so we would love to have you there. We know that it's early and so we will provide a breakfast for you. We will make it great. And so please come and hang out with us. The Better Man signups, it's a men's ministry initiative. Um, AJ told you about the two different times, Tuesday evening and Wednesday evening. You can sign up for that on the Church Center app. Go to the church website about that. I will tell you that it starts in September, not August. So it's September. I think it's the 12th and 13th is right. But it is the Tuesday and Wednesday, not the week of Labor Day. It's a whole week after Labor Day, that Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning. Um, also, going on in the life of the church right now, we have a men's ministry breakfast on, on August 26th. That's a Saturday morning. We'd love for any of you guys to save that date. Join us for that. Um, we also have the next day our congregational meeting. We do this twice a year, and what happens is we come together and we eat lots of ice cream together, so it's fun when it starts, and then we hear um, different reports on ministry in the church. We'll hear a financial report on how um, the church is doing financially. We'll hear different ministry updates. It is an informative evening, but it's also a fun evening, and it's a good fellowship evening as well. So uh, we really want any of you to join. Even if you're not a member yet, even if you're visiting, we'd love for you to join us and hear more about the church. Uh, we want you to bring your whole family. Kids will be dismissed after we eat ice cream, and we'll have some childcare upstairs for them. So we need volunteers both for ice cream and for childcare if you want to help um, with that, we, we, need, um, we need some volunteers for that. But please save that date, and you'll hear more about that um, as we get closer as well. Um, today, if you want to know more about the church today, um, we'd love for you to join us for lunch. We have a free lunch in the backstage right after the service today. We call it Fellowship 101. Um, part of it is our new members class. So if you want to become a member, it's a necessary step to becoming a member to come to that lunch. Um, but if you don't know if you want to be a member, if you're not ready to be a member and you just want the information, we'd love for you to come and just hear the information. You'll hear more about the church. You'll kind of get more behind the scenes sort of stuff um, that we'll share with you. And you're welcome to take the next step of membership or not. But we'd love to have you there. And um, there's free lunch for your whole family. Um, even if you didn't sign up, you're still welcome to come. And there is childcare for that also. Like you will have the kids eat with parents. And then we'll dismiss the kids, and we have some people to watch the kids um, during that lunch. Um, then lastly, I want you to know, a, a couple months ago, um, I guess at the end of uh, the school year, we had a couple of our fifth grade students up here telling you about the project they were doing to compile supplies and to create homeless bags that you could keep in your car. And if you see somebody that is 
um, in need in some way, you have a ready-packed bag that has a little bit of food, some supplies, some toiletry items, things like that, and you could just keep a couple in your car and give to people as you see people in need around the community. Um, So we now have those packed and ready. We have a good number of them, and they are available to any church member who wants to take it, or any church attender, um, who wants to take one or two, keep them in your car, and we'd love to hear if you give them to people. We'd love to know that. We'd love to tell those students how these bags are uh, being used out in the community. So if you want one of those, see a staff member after the service or after any service. We have a closet for them in the lobby and, or in the um, office suite area, and we'd love to, uh, to get one to you or get a couple to you so that you can keep in your car and use um, as needed. Now, we're going to turn to the book of Proverbs, and again, we're doing a topical study on Proverbs, so we're going to bounce around. So I have three lovely assistants in the back of the room that are going to hand out the notes if you didn't get a page of notes when you came in this morning. So raise your hand if you didn't get a note sheet that says um, Proverbs on money or, or money in Proverbs, something like that, and they will find you and get you what you need. As you can see from, from the sheet, if you have it, we're starting in Proverbs 10, but we're, we're going all over, like we have the last few weeks. We've got um, two weeks left in Proverbs after this one. So it's been a long journey um, going through uh, the quest for wisdom in the first nine chapters, and then all these different topics that Proverbs gives us over the last couple of months. And we've got two more after today. We'll talk about money today. And uh, next week, we'll talk about parenting and family. Proverbs has a ton to say about that, and they're very important passages, not just for young parents, but for grandparents, for for anyone that wants to live a life of wisdom and wants to invest in the younger generation. And uh, then finally, we're going to look at eternity, life, death, and eternity from the book of Proverbs. But today, we'll talk about money. I remember the first real lesson I ever had on financial planning or management happened because of an initiative of my school. I was in middle school, and my school had this great idea that I think was really effective at one level. It was definitely a good initiative to pursue, but their plan was, even with with the young students, even at the middle school level, they wanted to teach kids early a little bit about money, money management, and, and how to be um, wise or careful with money. And so it was a good idea, but it fell to somebody who had a deep passion for it, but really no training for this job at all. Because in a school setting, what happens is you have this new idea and you, you just give it to somebody who has, who has a class. And so it was the baseball coach who was a PE teacher who was also the health teacher. And so this was like one month of health class was on financial planning. And what happens is this guy who was, you know, three-time state champion baseball coach in the time I was there. He was the high school baseball coach teaching middle school PE and health. So we're talking job security for this guy. Great guy. We all loved him. But this guy said, I have no idea about financial management. I I don't know how to teach sixth and seventh graders about financial management. So he read a Dave Ramsey book, and he decided he is going to be the baseball coach version of Dave Ramsey. So this was his intro to this unit. You kids see this right here? This is the stupidest thing that people ever created. And let me tell you something. If you've got one of these, how many of you kids got one of these? And a couple kids like pulled them out. It's like, pull it out if you got one. If you have one of these, your parents either don't love you or, you're, or they're stupid and they want you to spend their money. Either way, it just doesn't make sense. And you go home and you tell your parent that coach said that to you, that you, you're too young to have one of these because you have no idea what you're doing with it. And that was a monumental beginning to a very informative class about why you don't use credit cards and why middle schoolers in particular shouldn't have credit cards. But he was basically trying to tell us to go home 
and tell our parents to rip up their credit cards and not use them. It was like this subversive tactic of like guilting us into thinking that credit cards are so bad that we could then guilt our parents into getting rid of them. And here's the thing. I mean, there's a lot of truth in the way we as Americans use credit cards. It's irresponsible, it's unwise, and it creates burdens. Credit cards create burdens that are unnecessary. So when we look at the book of Proverbs, okay, here's where we've been for the last few months. The book of Proverbs is based on the premise that knowledge is not enough. That you can know all sorts of stuff, but knowledge is not enough to live a successful life. Instead of having just knowledge, you need wisdom, which is the skill of putting knowledge, the information you have, into practice. So knowledge is information, wisdom is skill. Wisdom is how do I take the knowledge in my head and use it to make my life more profitable, successful, more disciplined, insert whatever word for wisdom. And so Proverbs shapes us in the way we view money as well. And we can still look back many years after my middle school PE teacher told me that credit cards are stupid, we can still look at a nation and at a society that has all sorts of problems because they know how money works, sort of. They might know how a credit card works. They might know what their card number is and how to use it. Knowledge just gets you to swipe that card. But wisdom, skill, in managing your money is something that many of us do not have. Statistically, many Americans do not have, so transferring that over to us, we got to be honest to say, if this is a problem in America and a problem in our society, it might be a problem here too. I'm speaking out of no specific knowledge of any of your financial situations, but simply saying it's a trend that probably has an influence on some of us where we are living in burden because we have not been wise and disciplined in our money. Why does God want us to be wise and disciplined in our money? As I said already, Proverbs has a lot to say about it. But even deeper than that, Jesus has a whole lot to say about money, wealth, resources, in the context of worship. Because bottom line for Jesus is you can't serve two masters. And bottom line for Jesus is money very quickly becomes a master that you serve. So Jesus speaks in parables a lot, right? 38 of them. Jesus uses 38 parables in his teachings throughout the four Gospels. Those stories that are meant to communicate a point. 16 of the 38 communicate a point about money about wealth, and about how wealth distracts from our worship and obedience to Christ. Jesus talks about money more than heaven and hell combined. Jesus talks about money five times more than he talks about prayer. There are 500 verses on prayer and faith in the Bible, and 2,000 dealing with money and possessions. Sorry, that's in the Gospels. So why does God talk about it so much? Why does the author of Proverbs care so much, and why does Jesus care so much? Because the old saying that if you want to know what somebody cares deeply about, look at their checkbook register, which I know is a thing that we don't use anymore. But, there's, but that old saying is still valid, that if you want to know what somebody really cares deeply about, who their God is, what their priorities are, and, and what their goals are, You look at their account history, and you can see, here's what they care about. They care about this hobby. They care about this lifestyle. They care about this vacation. They care about their kids because they're putting all this money into their kids' activities. They care about retirement because they're putting all this money into their retirement accounts. Money reveals where our heart is. Money reveals where our worship is. That's why it matters, okay? So... I'll tell you honestly, this is not my favorite sermon subject. 
because I don't think I'm a money expert. But here I am in a position where I'm tasked with preaching on a lot of things I'm not an expert on. And so I'm not coming at you as a money expert, as a financial planning expert, but rather on somebody that's going to tell you what the Word of God says about this subject. Many people have mental blocks when the church, when Christians and pastors start to talk about money. And if that's you, I understand why maybe somebody has created that in you because somebody has pressured you know, give, give, give. You need to give to this. You need to, you know, God's going to bless you if you give. There are some destructive ways in the church that we can talk about money. I just want to be very straightforward and just tell you what the book says and tell you what God's priorities are. Because God cares deeply about how you spend your money. And God cares deeply about how you spend your money because he cares deeply about you. And what he cares about most is not your money, but your heart. And he cares deeply about how you spend your money because he cares deeply about the state of your heart. So as we go through Proverbs this morning, we're going to look at the intention, the original intention of how God wants us to relate to him and money and wealth. And then we're going to talk about the dangers of wealth and money in a sinful world. And finally, we'll move towards the goal of how we live in response to him. First, the intention from Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. The intention is for God to bless and provide for his people, and for that blessing and provision to come without sorrow. How many rich people do you know? Maybe not personally, maybe you just know of people, maybe you've just heard things about people. But what do you know about people that are extremely wealthy? Is it possible? Is it possible that people that are extremely wealthy live without sorrow? I, I don't really see that. The lifestyles of the rich and famous in today's contemporary culture, it sure seems like there's a lot of sorrow. It sure seems like more money, more problems. It sure seems like there's lots of, of stressors there's lots of sorrow, hardship, and pain that comes with great financial resources. But Proverbs 10.22 says God's intention is that the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. That is extremely countercultural. That goes completely against the stream of the way riches and wealth work in contemporary society. Because in contemporary society, rich people have sorrow. Those with great resources have sorrow, and sometimes that sorrow is compounded by the great number of resources, financial resources, that they have. But this is, this is the thing we have to see from Proverbs 10.22. What God is saying here is this is the way I want to relate to you. This is the way I want you to relate to me, and this is the way I want to provide for you in your basic needs. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. A couple things we know about this verse. Number one, money is not inherently bad. Financial riches are not inherently bad. Wealth are not inherently bad. Because what Jesus is saying is, or what Proverbs is saying, is that the blessing of the Lord results in riches. And so let's not say that all money is bad. Let's not misquote, misquote scripture and say that money is the root of all evil. That's not what the scriptures say. But rather the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is neutral until sinful hearts get involved. And sinful hearts take things that are neutral, resources, tools, and we turn them into evil things. And we twist them to where they become masters over us. So money is intended, wealth, physical provision, is intended to be a blessing from the Lord. That's how God wants to work with us. But when sin enters into the world, everything gets messed up. 
And when sin enters into the world, we don't relate to money as if God is just blessing and providing for us. So we're thankful for whatever he provides. We're just grateful to God because he's given us our basic needs, because he's given us beautiful relationships, and he's put food on our table, and he's put a a, a roof over our head. We don't relate to God in great gratitude for those basic needs. Because why? Because we're sinful. Because we want more. And it's not new to us in our generation. That's new of every generation of people created in the image of God who have fallen into sin and are now dealing with the sin nature. That though we know God is providing for us, we know that in our heads, it's really easy to become greedy, to become jealous of others, and to want more and more and more. So we must see this. Money is intended to be a blessing from God, through which God provides for his people and their basic needs. But sin corrupts it, and sin leads to money bringing sorrow, money bringing pain, and to people that follow God and people that don't follow God, both, that are constantly wanting more. Money is meant to be a blessing, and it is a great blessing when it comes from the Lord, but money is a terrible master. And for many of us, we have lived more regularly in the world of money as master than in the world of money as blessing. So here we see, we go on to see from Proverbs, the dangers, the intention. God wants to provide for his people and he wants to provide enough for his people to live and enjoy riches, physical and relational riches without sorrow. God wants to provide for you. God wants to provide blessing for you. But our sin corrupts it. Here's the dangers of money from the book of Proverbs. Number one, pride. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. Proverbs 28, 11. Have you ever tried to tell a rich person some sort of new information? Have you ever tried to tell a rich person that, that they're wrong? Somebody that has, I mean, I'm talking extreme wealth, extreme resources, And I'm talking somebody that is sort of um, protected from a lot of the concerns of the world. A lot of the things that that we worry about, certain people reach a level of riches that they don't have to worry about those same things. So warn a wealthy person about something that is a concern for the rest of society. It's not my problem. I'm I'm insulated from that. I, I have the resources to protect myself from that. That's what the, the author of Proverbs is, is talking about here. You try to warn a rich person about a coming famine, and he's like, I've got enough storehouses, I've got my grain stored up, I've got enough fields, so what if it doesn't rain on some? It's fine. I'll ultimately be okay. But what the Proverbs is saying to us is that a rich man who is wise in his own eye is is not any better than a poor man who has understanding, a poor man who has wisdom, who has the skill of living life well. So the first danger we see that money causes for us is pride. Why? Because we think we did it. Because that paycheck comes in and you think, I worked so hard. I got my education. I got the training. I, I, I was a self-starter, I was entrepreneurial, I was, I was um, wise, I did all of these things, and look at where I've gotten, because I worked hard, I did this. That's the prideful approach of money that, that convinces us that we did this, that we accomplished this, and that's why we are where we are. Money so quickly corrupts in that way. The second danger, corruption. Proverbs 20, 23, unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. So this is the picture of somebody that's selling some sort of material by weight, but they've rigged the system. And so they have a scale and they say, okay, you want this much grain, but their scale is broken. They have manipulated the scale to where they make more money off of you, and they are charging you for grain that you're not getting by a corrupt scale. That's what this verse is talking about. Or Proverbs eleven eighteen in a similar sense. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. 
This speaks of the person that wants their income, that is so focused on money that they'll cheat on their hours a little bit, that they'll say they've done this much work when they've done this much work. When the boss isn't looking, they're going to they're gonna cut corners and not work hard so that they get paid for work that they don't complete. That is the wicked, earning, deceptive wages. But what God says to us is one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. What does it mean to sow righteousness? It means I care about what is right and wrong. I live by a moral standard outside of myself and my desires. I live by God's moral standard, and I care what he says is right and wrong. So I am going to, Colossians 3.23, work hard as unto the Lord. And what God says here is that righteous living and righteous work results in reward. Now, back to one of the first things I said about Proverbs months ago, and it bears repeating, and we've repeated it often, but we can never forget this, because Proverbs can be hard to interpret on this one, one little area. The book of Proverbs is written primarily as probabilities and principles, and not as promises. So the author of Proverbs is simply telling you A wise life most often results in this. You choose this path, the wise path, and you're most often going to result here. But these passages are not meant as promises. As in, if I I do this and I don't end up here, I then get mad at God and I shake my fist, and God, you lied to me because I was a righteous worker, But it sure didn't feel like I got a sure reward because what happened is the guy that was deceptive in in his wages still makes more than me, still outranks me, but I'm working hard as unto the Lord and he's getting the material success that I'm not getting. What gives? And that's where we understand that the book of Proverbs is written as probabilities. A wise life results in results in these outcomes most of the time. But the more and more sinful society gets, your family gets, your workplace gets, you gets, you get the more messed up the whole equation gets. And so it doesn't always result in this. And that's why all that's why one of the main themes of the Proverbs, and we've talked about this before, one of the main things of the Proverbs that we we referenced last week is we put God in the center of our lives. A wise life is a life that is lived around God, with him as the center, with him as the influence, with him as the judge. And sometimes, in a sinful world, the wicked prosper, and the righteous seem to suffer. The righteous face financial hardship. The righteous work hard as unto the Lord, and don't make as much as the wicked. But from an eternal standpoint, when God is still at the center, when God is still the judge, the promise is that he is the judge and one day the wicked will no longer prosper. Though it looks like for now, the wicked are prospering. And though it looks like you might die before you see the wicked be punished for their wickedness and you rewarded for your righteousness, it's still true that in this life, the probability has not come true. You have not been rewarded for your hard work. But in the next life, the promise does come true that those who are in Christ will receive rich rewards. Those who are in Christ will be rewarded for their faithfulness, for their godliness. And that's why Proverbs cares so much, as we'll look in two weeks, at the question of life and death. Because if this life is all there is, then you can throw out a lot of this stuff. Because if this life is all there is, some of the principles from Proverbs for a wise life, they just don't make sense in this life. Now, some of it does. Some of it just shows you how to be a good employee and how to be a hard worker. But some of it is like, I see too many exceptions to this. I see the wicked prospering. I see the righteous suffering. Therefore, this doesn't work. And if this life is the end, then that's going to that's gonna leave you feeling empty. But it's not. Proverbs has an eternal perspective. So the probability is 
that if you cheat at work, eventually somebody's going to notice and you're going to suffer for it. And if you work hard, eventually somebody's going to notice and you're going to be rewarded for it. That is the probability that Proverbs 11:18 is going for. But if God is out of the center and money, wealth, pleasure are in the center, you're going to cheat. You're going to cut corners. You're going to become corrupt. That's what Proverbs is telling you. Number three, impatience. An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. That's Proverbs 20, 21. 13, 11 says a similar thing. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Here's the thing about all of us. We would all rather be wealthy now than later. We would all rather work really hard for a short period of time and gain this great financial wealth than have to work really hard throughout our career for many, many years and then one day be in a position of wealth. We want things and we want them now. We are impatient and money does that to you. But, the, but wealth gained quickly is not a good thing, according to the author of Proverbs. He says two things, very similar, an inheritance gained hastily in the, any, in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. So you get this huge windfall of this inheritance, and you live it up for a little bit, and then it's gone. That's what 2021 says. 1311 says, wealth gained hastily dwindles. But wealth gained over time continually increases. I looked up this week, the, there's an organization called the National Endowment for Financial Education. They said that 70% of lottery winners go bankrupt within a few years. That's what Proverbs is saying. You get this big windfall. You get all this money in, and you live it up. You haven't worked for it. You haven't built up discipline over time. You haven't invested over years to gain this wealth. You get this quick wealth, and then you don't have the requisite discipline to use it well. You don't know what to do with it, and so you just spend it. That's the warning that Proverbs gets us, or that's the warning that Proverbs gives us. And so Proverbs, or what, so what money does is money tempts us to think that the best way to work in relationship with money is to get as much as you can as quick as you can. But your character doesn't develop from getting money quickly. Your discipline, your wisdom with money doesn't develop when you get it quickly. You want to manage money well, work really hard for a long time, spend less than you make for a long time, and wealth will increase. That's, that's the principle we're getting at here. But the most significant danger of money in Proverbs, in Scripture, this is what Jesus brings out. This is why God cares so much. Number four on our list is that money causes us to forget God. There's one prayer in the book of Proverbs. It's right at the end, Proverbs chapter 30. And this is a portion of that prayer. The author calls out to God, says, God, two things I ask of you. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me all falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Here the, the wise sage is calling out to God and saying, God, don't make me rich. And most of us, as we pray for our finances, it's really easy to say, God, don't make me poor. Which is also what he's saying. But what the wise sage is saying here also is don't make me rich because I know in my riches I will be tempted to think I've done it I don't need you I don't need to worship God I don't need God's blessing I've worked hard I have everything I need and then I will say 
who is the Lord? In essence, he says, if I'm rich, I'll forget you exist, God. I'll forget to keep you at the center. I'll forget my need and my desperation for you. I've told this story before, but I just love it. When I was in college, there was a group of uh, missionary kids that went to the same college as I did, and they got involved in the same college ministry I did. And our pastor at the time one day was, was thinking, like, for a missions emphasis, what would be really cool? We have all these, and they happened to be all girls, and there were four of them that all grew up in the mission field, and they were all part of this college ministry, and they all happened to be um, in Africa. And they had gone to the same African uh, missionary kid boarding school, so their parents worked in different nations in Africa, but they all went to school together at a central place, at a central Christian school. And then they came to the same college I did, and they came to our church. And he interviewed them on just what we needed to know about what was going on in Africa, about what the church was doing globally, about, about what the Christian life was like in other settings. And the last question was, what is the biggest difference between your experience with Christianity here and your experience with Christianity in Africa? And this 19-year-old girl, and I will never forget it because it hit me in the face. She said, in my experience, Christians here forget that they need God. They have what they need. They have a job that can provide for their basic needs. They have resources. And they just live their lives day to day. And they wouldn't ever say, I don't need God. But they live their lives as if they don't. And when they're in trouble, they don't stop and pray. They just work harder. They, seek, they look for a new job. They ask for a raise. They, they whatever. I need more money, so I'm going to take this, this practical approach, this human approach to having more resources, and I'm going to provide for myself, work my way up. She said, in America, Christians seem to forget that they need God or work hard enough so that they don't need God day to day. And our African friends have never, ever thought that. They know they need him every day. And they know that their fields will go bare if God doesn't send the rain. And they know that they will suffer financially if they are not praying and living in constant desperation. She said American Christians tend to think that they're not desperate. African Christians know how desperate they are every single day day. War, famine, violence, whatever it is. This is our thing. This is what we do. People who are sinners, even those of us who are saved by Jesus, we don't want to be dependent. We don't want to be desperate. We want to do our thing to get ourselves to a better place. And then the danger is that we forget the need for God in the midst. Proverbs 11.4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You can't take it with you. We all know that. But the point here is deeper. It feels like when you live your life day to day, it feels like your job is this important and living in relationship to God is this important. Because your job is immediate. Your job is, is urgent. You got to go to work today. You got to put food on your table. But what happens when we do that? What happens when we say that, well, God will be there when I come home. I can pray when I come home. I can read my Bible when I come home. I can read my Bible later, over the weekend, whatever. I've got this day on Sunday to, to go to church. But now, Monday through Friday, I've got to obsess over the work that is in front of me. I've got to get it done. I've got to be successful here. What happens over time as we do that is we, we deceive ourselves. And we think money is this important. And we live our lives and we arrange our calendars that way. Money, financial resources, physical provision. That's this important. And God is this important because he only needs this segment. He'll be satisfied with just this segment. So I'm going to live 90% of my life over here. I'm going to just give a little bit over here. 
And the truth is just completely opposite. It can be more opposite. What you're living your life for, the riches, the wealth that you build up in this life, it's gone. It's gone when you enter into eternity. It doesn't help you anymore. Maybe your spouse gets it. Maybe your kids get it. And that's a great goal to leave something behind for the next generation. It's a really beautiful thing. But in the end, it doesn't help you when you're in the presence of God. So live your life as if entering into the presence of God and the eternity that you spend in the presence of God is actually what matters most. And sure, give your employer the hours that he's due based on the job that you have. But even those hours can be lived in light of the God who you'll be with for eternity. Don't live as if physical provision is actually more important than the eternal home that God is preparing for you. So we have God's original intention that was mired by sin, that we're not living and experiencing regularly. We're not seeing the blessing of God and we're not worshiping him because of that. We're, we're, we have sorrow, we have pain in our financial wealth. It's not the Garden of Eden where, where Adam was naming the animals and Adam was cultivating the garden and there were no thorns and there was no famine and there was no pain. Sin mired everything. And so working the fields is hard and working a factory is hard and managing a budget is hard and living a life in this world is hard. So what do we do? The goal. Just a couple more verses. The goal is that we honor God by giving him his due and by blessing others. And specifically, we're, deal- we're still dealing with the realm of finances here. We honor God with our wealth, with our money, by giving to him and to others. Real simple. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Again, a earthly probability, but hints of an internal promise here. Because sometimes you honor God with your wealth and your business doesn't prosper because you live in a sinful world. But if you honor God with your wealth, then the eternal storehouses are full and waiting for you. And when you enter into the presence of God, God does not forget that you have honored him in this life. You have stewarded the wealth that he gives you, the means that he gives you, so that you can worship him with the resources he gives you. In verse 9 of Proverbs 3, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. First fruits means the tithe. We talk about that in church some. It's a biblical concept. It's an important concept. The word tithe means tenth. That in the old covenant, followers or Israelites, followers of God were required to give 10% back to God, back to the priests and the Levites that served um, God in the tabernacle and the temple. And then they would use that to provide for their own families and to serve the community. And so that is a principle that carries over into the New Testament as well, that we should, we should, as followers of God, give and give to God. And so the first fruits concept is that you give to God first. The first fruits concept is that you don't give to God what's left over after you've spent everything. That's why repeatedly the, the Old Testament uses this language of first fruits. They were to take the first crops out of their fields, the best crops, and give that to God first. And so in our financial planning and management, that's a really key concept. That we don't just spend all of our money on everything else. And at the end, we give a little bit to God, to his kingdom, to his church, to, to the ministry that, uh, of his kingdom around the world. But the principle in scripture is that you give to God first. And then you manage the other 90 in light of, of the opportunities, opportunities that he gives you. God doesn't just want, here, here's the trick. God doesn't just want 10%. This is where we trick ourselves into thinking, if I give God 10%, I do what I want with the 90. I'm sorry to tell you, God cares what you do with all of it. And so giving a little bit to him doesn't mean you get to do what you want with the other because that will still corrupt you. That will still lead you into corruption, into sin, into greed, into all these things that we've already talked about. God wants you to live 
all of it, to use all of it in light of who he is. But he does want you to first give some to him, to his church, to his kingdom, to needs that, that move the gospel around the nations for his glory and for um, the good of all people. So we first honor God by giving to him. But we second honor God by blessing others. Look at Proverbs eleven twenty four through 26. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters himself will be watered, or one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. One of the best ways to use what God has entrusted to you is to give it in generosity to others. This is what I mean by God doesn't just want you to give him 10% and then use the rest to do whatever you want. No, he wants you to be generous with the other. He wants you to serve people. He wants you to serve people with your wealth by opening up your home to others, by opening up your dinner table to others, by helping those that are in need, by bringing a meal to somebody that is in need, by taking your time to bless and serve people that have needs. Because what the principle, the probability here, is the one that gives freely actually increases in wealth. Why is that? The one who waters, in, in verse 25, will himself be watered. Because if you give to others, then in your time of need, others give to you. That's community. That's fellowship. That's being multiple parts of, of one body, bearing each other's burdens, what followers of Jesus are supposed to be doing. When you give to others, it doesn't mean that you never have a need yourself. But it means that those that you gave to remember that when you have a need. And they give back. And they serve. And we can't live as the prideful, wealthy person that we already talked about today that thinks we are protected, we're insulated from all the hardship of the world. We are all living on a desperate, dependent edge of a cliff where anything could happen at any moment that could ruin us physically, financially, emotionally. That, that's the fragility of the world that we live in, that we're all desperate every single day. And what's the best thing to do with our desperation? It's to trust God. It's to recognize that he's still here in the middle and to live our life around him where everything that we do, what we invest in our retirement fund, we, we think through that, we discern that in light of who he is and what he's doing. How many hours we work in our job, we, we think through that in light of who he is and what he's doing. What kind of vacations we go on as a family, how we manage our budget as a family. We think about that in light of who he is and what he's doing. How much I give to the church. We think about that in light of who he is and what he's doing. How much I use my money to serve the poor or to give to missions. I, again, in light of who he is and what he's doing and what he's calling us to. God is at the center of all of these decisions. There are people in this room that are hurting, that are honestly a little bit annoyed because you're, you're in a place where you just can't even conceive of this sort of financial planning or management because everything's just so dark and heavy in your financial life right now. And it just seems like you're so far off of where you want to be. It feels like you're so burdened by your finances. And I would encourage you, if that is you, this church has great resources, and I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about people. And if you are hurting because of the, the burden that's crushing you of your own financial management right now, tell me. And again, I'm not the expert, but we have people here that would love to walk with you through the challenges. It's good to have a brother in Christ that can, can see from a different perspective, get an outside opinion and say, okay, Here's where you need some help. And here's where we can be more disciplined. Here's where we can find out some things together. That's what the community of Christ is for. We don't want people in our fellowship to be burdened and not know about it. We want to bear one another's burdens. 
So if you're in a place where financially you're hurting, we have some training, we have some counseling available for how to, how to walk through financial um, challenges. I'd love to get you connected to help with those challenges. They're there, and, and they're life-giving. But if you're in a place where you know that God is working on your heart right now to say, we need to do this a little differently as a family. I need to do it differently. I need to be a better steward because ultimately the word that God gives us throughout the New Testament and how we use our money is steward. A steward doesn't own anything. A steward manages something that belongs to someone else. That's how we manage finances. Everything belongs to God. He entrusts us with this, so we use this for his glory and for good of all people so that, so that God might use us to expand and grow his kingdom. So as the, the band comes up to lead us, here's what I want you to reflect on. We can recapture that Proverbs 10.22 blessing. Though we are living in a sinful world and though everything with money seems heavy and broken, we can recapture this vision, this sense of when we build our lives on Christ with God at the center of everything, we can see and we can look around and worship and, and see our blessing because God has provided. But when we see that beauty, that when we build our lives on Christ, God has provided, God has blessed. Here's what we do. We trust, we commit, and we use. Do you trust God with your financial life? Do you trust God with your bank account and with your budget? Because maybe that's the response. Is actually, literally, guys, literally coming to the altar today to say, God, I'm burdened by this. I feel crushed by my debt. I feel crushed by this, this thing that I can't manage on my own. And so the response in worship is to come forward or is to grab a friend, a friend and say, God, I need to trust you greater. Show me. So we go deeper in trusting God. We go deeper in committing every dollar that we have in our account, every dollar that's entrusted to us. We commit it to him. God, this is for you. This is for you to use. I'm simply your steward. And then if we've trusted him and if we've committed him to, and we've committed it to him, here's the thing. We can use it. Spend that money. But spend it for his glory. Spend it on the fun things. Spend it on the important things, on the essential things. But spend it so that Christ's kingdom can grow. So that others will know who he is. And guys, I know money's heavy. It's stressful. But if we trust him, we commit our financial lives to him, and we use our finances for his glory, we'll see the blessing of the Lord. We'll see the presence of the Lord. We'll see the provision of the Lord. So let's stand and sing, reflect on the foundation of our lives. And if you want to come forward for prayer, 